The following is a midnight entertainment presentation. my favorite Sith. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just slow down. Huh? What do you mean they blew up the Death Star? Who's they? What the hell is an aluminum falcon? Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. You yell Barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell Shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? Oh, the six demon bag. Terrific. A six demon bag. Sensational. Avengers Assemble. It's time for 30 minutes of sci-fi, 30 minutes of fantasy, 30 minutes of pop culture movies and TV. It's time for 30 minutes of geek. He is a young lone marauder crusade to help champion the cause of the innocent, the helpless, and the powerless in the world of criminals who operate above the law. The host of 30 Minutes of Geek, Jim Nelson. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, welcome to the worldwide program that crams as much pop culture awesomeness as we can into 1,800 seconds. It's 30 Minutes of Geek, and I'm Jim Yelton. This week on the show, we'll have Yoda offering advice to the lovelorn, some nerd poetry looking at the new season of Doctor Who, and our special guest this week is Van Allen Plexico. Van is a fellow author, podcaster with his own show, The White Rocket Podcast, and a frequent guest at various conventions around the country. His latest novel is Kings of Oblivion, the third volume in his epic space opera military science fiction series, The Shattering. I first met Van at a convention years ago. I was at the con to promote the Swindlers of Doom and preview some of our superheroes for Extraordinary. Van had just released the second or third volume of his own superhero series, The Sentinels, so we immediately sized each other up and quickly found that many shared interests that we had in the science fiction and fantasy realms and you know, Van was a big Marvel guy, and I was a big Marvel guy, and, you know, we loved Babylon 5 and Space 1999, and, and we just share a lot of different things. So, seeing as how I've been a multiple-time guest on Van's White Rocket podcast, in fact, I think I hold the record for being a guest on his show, it only seemed fitting that Van would be the first guest on my show. Now, one of my appearances on Van's program was a two-part discussion of Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, from Iron Man through the Avengers. Since then, Marvel has only ramped up its plans and achieved much more success, and it's just a natural fit for us to get back together and talk about Marvel's Phase 2. Now this week, Van and I discuss if Marvel's Phase 1 lived up to our expectations, whether the sequels were working, and how we both felt about Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World. I started the conversation by asking Van if the Marvel plan for Phase 1 was really working. Well, I mean, I think that having the hindsight now of having seen a good bit of phase two. I'm not exactly sure where we are now in phase two. We've seen, you know, what couple since Iron Man, certainly Iron Man three and Guardians of the Galaxy is, is phase two and Captain America two, I guess Thor two. Yeah, really, so. I think yeah. from, from Iron Man three, 
the Thorn Cap sequels and Guardians, and then I think they're what they're calling Phase Two ends with Avengers: Age of Two. Ultron. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that with the hindsight of knowing what we know now, of having seen those, they've gotten. I think they've gotten better. They've gotten slicker. It's interesting because the the other ones they were. I think they were still getting their footing. Right. They're they're not to me quite as they're they're not quite as self assured in some ways because it seemed like the, the the newer ones seem more comfortable. They're able to bring more things in. Now that's interesting because you know in you know comic book stories I've always argued that the the origin story is often the best story a character has, and so you know that's one of the reasons why movie studios keep doing the origin story of superheroes over and over and over is because that's the the strongest story and they want to keep redoing the strongest story but in Marvel's case I think that while the origin stories are good I think that they have such a broad catalog of other characters and other stories too that that we're getting stuff that's at least as good or better now that we've got the origins out of the way so I mean I think that phase one did what it needed to do it was it was it exceeded everybody's expectations I, I think that everybody thought there would be a clunker in there somewhere and honestly there really wasn't a bad one there you know some are maybe arguably better than others but there really wasn't a bad one in there. I, th- I think that it, it did two things. It got accomplished what they what it had to get accomplished, which was to be competent and not look bad and get the get the ball rolling, get the ship launched. But two, I think it also raised the game. Right? It, it made viewers think that this is something that we can trust and depend on. That's going to get better. And is and I'll sum, I'll sum that up by saying that people are saying Marvel today is kind of where Pixar was a decade ago, where you they just have that trust with the public. Yeah, and it, it's weird thinking about it in terms of the Marvel brand mm-hmm. is is almost stronger than any one film in the series. Or you know, there aren't Iron Man movies, there aren't Thor movies, there aren't Cap movies, there. They're all Marvel movies. Like, they've yeah. successfully established that brand where they can then launch a Guardians of the Galaxy just based on the strength of the Marvel brand. And nobody not knowing anything about the characters or, you know, what the backstory is with these people flying around in space, all they know is they've got some connection to Marvel. And, you know, let's go see the movie and see what the connection is. And and we trust because we've seen all these other really good movies that it's going to be a good movie, too. And I think you're right. I mean, I was going to make that comparison, too, that Marvel is like the new Pixar. And, and that's why it makes even more sense that Disney bought them. Yeah, and I think it's also very interesting that, by and large, the public, at least the movie-going public that watches these movies, even people that don't seem to be big comics fans seem to understand that there's a difference between the Marvel Studios movies and the Fox and Sony movies because you you don't really hear people even uninformed people trying to bring X-Men or or Spider-Man into the discussion you know they they seem to understand like it's kind of like knowing the difference between Pixar and a DreamWorks animated or something you know they people kind of seemed to get that distinction and they seem to be getting this one yeah, it, it's almost like when they started doing the kind of knockoff direct-to-video sequels to some of the Pixar movies mm-hmm. or, you know, some of the TV animated shows that were tied into Pixar. Like, people understood that was not the same level of quality because it wasn't really a Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, a knockoff just to kind of cash in and get a sequel out of it or something. And it wasn't until Pixar started doing their own sequels that people realized, okay, these are the ones that we can really trust because they were made by the same people that made the movies that we like. Yeah. 
But I mean, people people like the X Men and Spider Man movies to some degree. So I really wonder how it is that people are realizing what we you know we know obviously because we keep track of these things, we follow it. But I wonder how the how is the public able to? I guess is it just the publicity or I mean, what do you what do you suppose it is? Yeah, I just think Marvel and, and they're doing an even better job now that they're a part of the Disney machine. But even before that, Marvel did a really good job of promoting and marketing their movies. And I I think we could probably beat this into the ground for an hour, but their vision of building the Marvel brand for movies and making it mean as much as the Marvel brand for comics meant mm-hmm. was was always there from the very beginning. And I just think, you know, yeah, they were incredibly lucky with some of their choices and, and that things worked out the way they did, but they also, you know, they've been working the plan and, it, and it's worked perfectly. We'll have more from Van right after this. We just want to let you know that this week's show is brought to you by Soylent Green. You know, if you're hungry, there's nothing else that satisfies your craving better than Soylent Green. Remember what Charlton Heston said. Soylent Green is made out of people. That's right. Soylent Green. It's 100% green and 100% people. And coming soon, three new flavors. Soylent Red, Soylent Berry Burst Blue, and Diet Soylent with half the calories and half the people. You gotta tell them, Soylent Green is people! High above the mucky muck, castle made of clouds. There sits Wonder Boy, sitting oh so proudly. Not much to say when you're high above the mucky muck. Back to 30 Minutes of Geek. I'm Jim Yelton, and it's time for part two of this week's conversation with author Van Allen Plexico. Now, after getting all of our nerd dreams to come true with the Avengers, the sky was the limit for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I kind of wondered if there would be a letdown after the first assembling of the team. So I asked Van if, at the time, right after the Avengers, there was a reason to be concerned about a letdown with the upcoming sequels. Well, I still think the Avengers is as good as it gets, and I don't know how they're going to make something better than that. (laughs) But um, the problems I've had with stuff since then haven't been uh, in terms of the quality. I mean, I was, I was arguing the other day that from a purely a movie standpoint, there's not a whole lot wrong with Iron Man 3. The, the problems with Iron Man 3 come when you start caring about the, backs, the, the, the origins of the characters that are in the movie and everything, and then it becomes a disaster. But as long as you are you know, immune to that, then it's, it's, it does what it's supposed to do. It's fine. No, the thing that has surprised me is that the non, you know, well, there's only been one Avengers movie, and what surprised me is that the individual movies since then have taken a step up. Uh, the problem I have with Iron Man 3 notwithstanding, they've, I think they've taken a step up. I mean, Captain America 2 to me was much better than Captain America 1. Absolutely. Thor 2 had everything Thor 1 had plus more. It seemed more comfortable in its skin. It felt like it knew exactly what it was doing. Thor 1, I got the sense, as much as I love it, I still got the sense that they weren't entirely sure what they were doing or where they were going. It, it was a little like a size 
12 shoe on a size 10 foot or something. But Thor 2, it just felt like everybody knew exactly what they were doing, how to play their characters, where they were going, bada bing, bada bang, bada bong, you know. And so I, you know, none of them has been Avengers yet just because of everything that, that went into that from all the different characters to Joss Whedon and everything that he brings to a project like that. But they've been almost, I mean, Captain America 2 was almost as good as the Avengers. I never dreamed I would say that. Yeah, it's funny because I was looking at the numbers and, you know, when you look at kind of like the post-Avengers spike that all of these movies have, you know, yeah. ridden the wave of the Avengers. I mean, Iron Man 3, it grossed, you know, over 30% more than yeah. Iron Man 2. Thor the Dark World was up like 14% over the first Thor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Captain America the Winter Soldier is the one that kind of freaks me out because it's almost 50% higher as far as its growth so far than the first Captain America. And I think that's the character of the three of them that, like, really benefited the most from the Avengers. You know, I think it's interesting because normally when you talk about a sequel to a movie, you know, when you're going from Spider-Man to Spider-Man 2 or X-Men to X-Men 2, those actors have only done the one movie movie before the sequel Mm -hmm. so you know they really are still trying to figure out how to play the character and and that sort of thing with the avengers being sandwiched in between some of these sequels I thought it was kind of cool because if you look at Iron Man 3, that's the fifth time that Robert Downey Jr. has played Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah. if, if you if you count the cameo he did for the Hulk. Right. And, you know, the same with Thor and Captain America. I mean, those guys have played those parts multiple times before they even get to a second sequel for their movies. Yeah. So, you know, I think you're right that it's almost like at this point, these people are like very comfortable with the characters and they know they're very assured with how they want to play them and who they are. And there's not a whole lot of still trying to struggle and figure out who these people are and, and what they're about. I mean, everybody has a real clear vision of what they're doing in these movies. Yeah. So with Iron Man 3, I mean, let's kind of like pick apart the four movies leading up to Avengers Age of Ultron and then we can kind of talk about what the future holds. Mm-hmm. I know you and I have heard personally talked about, you know, some of the issues we have with Iron Man 3, but I I agree with something you said earlier. When I think about it, if you take it as just a singular movie, it's a very good movie. It's a very good Iron Man movie. But I think where it kind of gets bogged down a little bit is when you do put it in the context of the bigger Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I thought that was one of the issues that they might end up with as time went on with these movies, because, you know, they keep putting in all of these great things for fans, and they put in great characters, and, you know, the villains are are really good but then there's a part of it where they're still trying to make a movie and they're you know in in the case of iron man 3 i think they were really concerned with telling that one story and i don't necessarily know that shane black was all that concerned when he was writing it with how it was going to affect all the movies after it and i think it's very interesting that they then opened the door for the the short film yeah to kind of clear up the whole Mandarin issue. So tell me, how did you feel about the movie as a whole coming out of it and then kind of what they've done post Iron Man 3 to kind of clean up some of it and say, okay, we really didn't mean some of the stuff? Well, I wonder if that was intentional or if they realized people were pissed because that, I mean, that little bit that, that addressed the Mandarin with, uh, with Ben Kingsley in prison 
I would really like to know if that was planned all along or if that was something they tacked on after they saw a fan reaction. Now, I'm not trying to suggest by any means that I or anybody else who feels the way I do have that much power over Marvel, but if you're trying to think of stuff to do little mini-movies about and you've been hearing people like me complain, then maybe that would be a bug in your ear to maybe address it you know, and make some fans happy. I don't know. But I would take issue with one thing about Iron Man 3, though. I think that of all the movies that that have come so far, well, you know, it's actually kind of a credit that they've done as good of a job as they have uh, with the three solo movies in not making them purely bridges and setups for the next Avengers. But that being said, they did have a whole lot. I mean, one of the other things that bugged me about Iron Man 3 is that a lot of Iron Man 3 is an excuse to make Tony get rid of the armor so that in Iron, so that in Avengers 2, He's building Ultron. I mean, you you know that it's kind of like they told Shane Black, do whatever you want, but at the end of the movie, he needs to be in a point in his mind where he's tired of being Iron Man and wants to get rid of the armor. Yeah, and I, I kind of felt that way too. I mean, it, except I was I was looking at it from the reverse standpoint. I mean, mm-hmm. the the problem I had was where Tony was at the beginning of the movie. I mean, I didn't necessarily have a problem with where he ended up just because of the story that they were telling, but I had a big problem with them pushing the whole, you know, he's suffering from post-traumatic stress from, you know, what happened in the Avengers. And I mean, he seemed like he was pretty okay at the end of Avengers. I mean, they went out and had shawarma afterwards. (laughs) They did. Yeah. You know, I understand sometimes, you know, that sort of thing develops over time, but it just didn't strike me as being true to the character of who Tony Stark is. And, but you know that's very comic booky though, because can't you just imagine reading a comic written by like Bill Mantlo or something back in the day that would have ended one way, and then it continues over in a in a comic written by like Jim Shooter or something, and it would be a different tone, you know? Yeah, different... exactly. Yeah. So I, I I'll give them that. I mean, I agree with you that in terms of movies, it was uneven. I agree. And yeah, you do wonder if maybe right after they cut the camera off at the shawarma scene, Tony suddenly stood up and said, "Holy crap! What did we just do?" But yeah, but so I, I do agree. And it's funny because um, I told you before we started recording that I went back and listened to the White Rocket podcast that we did talking about all the Phase One movies, and we had pretty much the same problems with Iron Man 2 that you just brought up about Iron Man 3, that there was a lot of stuff that seemed like it was just specifically shoehorned in to set up things for later movies or set up things for the Avengers. And, you know, it's it's funny because I I look back now and think, well, Iron Man 2 is not as bad a movie as I thought at the time. I mean, I think it was just a disappointment because we were on such a high from Iron Man. It's it's a mess though, Jim. It's of all I think of all the of all the Marvel movies so far, uh, even the Hulk. I think that Iron Man two is the one that you really feel like there's a director's cut somewhere that actually makes sense. It's yeah, just, well, it's just the, kind of a mess. Yeah, the the thing with Iron Man two that always bothers me is it seems like there's a a, a bunch of things like they just put a bunch of note cards up on a board <laughs> yeah. and said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And wouldn't it be uh, cool if this happened? And wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And they they just kind of figured out a way to move all those cards around and make a movie out of it. And Iron Man 3, at least, has a more linear plot line to it that makes sense. The the villains make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that's going on in that movie, there's a reason why it's happening. I don't necessarily know that it was the strongest storyline, but it was a little bit stronger than Iron Man 2's. I, I will give them that. Yeah, I, I, Sam Rockwell was... The, the things that work... He was great. The things that work in Iron Man 2, I think, worked really well. 
but there's just a bunch of things in Iron Man 2 that don't really make a lot of sense and they just kind of leave them hanging and they don't do much with them. And I mean, they like the alcohol, the alcoholism storyline, which is such an important thing in Tony's history. And you turn it into a couple of jokes and a reason for him and War Machine to fight right, before exactly. they just make up. I mean, it, 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 I don't know. It just, it just felt like it gave short shrift to a lot of stuff. I, I still have no earthly idea what Mickey Rourke was even supposed to be doing in the movie. You know, he was in it to blow some stuff up and to be weird and to talk to a bird or something. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> The I've bird was one of the best parts of the movie, though. Yeah, but, but it made no, I mean, if if I wish that Sam Rockwell could. Be, in other words, I thought that Sam Rockwell should have gotten the, the screen time in two that uh, what's his name did in three. The British actor that basically oh, uh, plays Guy Pierce, yeah, yeah, because Rockwell's far more entertaining than than Guy Pierce. I've gotten to the point now that when Guy Pierce shows up, you're just like. Oh boy, they they ran out of ideas for this movie, so they brought in Guy Pierce right. just to kind of stomp around and act stupid. So. We'll be back with Van to take a look at Thor: The Dark World in just a moment. Hey gang, we aren't just here for entertainment. Thirty Minutes of Geek wants to give back to the fans, and that's why we offer advice for the love lorn each week. And who better to give advice than the 800-year-old Jedi Master Yoda? Our letter this week is very appropriate with the new season of Doctor Who having started. It comes from Sarah Jane, who writes, Dear Yoda, my boyfriend and I are both huge fans of Doctor Who, and agree that Matt Smith was our favorite. Now that Peter Capaldi has taken over, my boyfriend is not as excited about the show, while I love the new Doctor. My fear is that we won't be able to continue enjoying our shared passion for Who. Please help. Well, Master Yoda... Any advice for the fearful companions? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. What the hell does that even mean? Like, that doesn't even anything to do with what these people are asking about. You always bring... Like, that's your advice for everything. You are the worst at giving advice. I don't even get it. You, you can't... Always with you what cannot be done. Hear you nothing that I say. You, you know, next week I'm just going to try and do it by myself. I can try and do a better job than this. No. Try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. Oh my god, serious? Another one? Oh, it, it, just stop. Just stop. We left off with Van Allen Plexico discussing Iron Man 3 and the post-Avengers movies. It's my opinion that Thor The Dark World was not as good as the first time we saw the God of Thunder on screen. The first one was really great, and I really thought that they captured the feel of Asgard and, and the byplay between Thor being on Asgard and being on Earth with, with all of the, the mere mortals. So I asked Van how he felt about the sequel. Thor 2, I loved it. I think that they are still having more difficulty translating Thor's mythology and world to the screen than any of the other characters. They've done a remarkably good job with it. I thought that one of the things that was so good about the first Thor movie was that it could have been horribly done, and they did a, a pretty darn good job. Give it kind of that, they're kind of doing that Kirby, it's kind of science fiction-y, and it's kind of mystical I think that Doctor Strange is going to operate in the same sort of, you know, way. Yeah. There's going to there's going to be like this mystical religious corner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that kind of, you know, as we've talked about before, what they're doing is kind of mushing everything down because the comics were written over decades by many different creators. 
And so they have as many different answers and as many different, you know, uh, mechanics behind everything that happens as there were writers and artists. And so in the movies, they're trying to take everything that's similar and kind of contract it into being one thing. So if it's cosmic, it seems to have some connection to the infinity gems, you know, and if it's godly, well, it's kind of a cosmic scientific godly realm, you know, and and there's some overlap there so that you can have Doctor Strange, the Celestials, the Infinity Gem and the Asgardian gods all kind of in the same little box as opposed to being boxes spread all over the place, you know, right. Um, so so Thor 2, I thought, did about as good of a job with trying to convey that kind of thing as I can imagine them doing. I, the, the problems I have with Thor 2 were small and much more specific. And the number one is the incredible waste of Christopher Eccleston. Oh, yeah. And, and it's funny because one of the things I said when we talked about the upcoming sequels uh, a year and a half ago was we already knew Christopher Eccleston had been cast. And I said, that's going to be awesome because you're going to be able to have him verbally sparring with Loki. Yeah. And, and holding his own. And, and oh, those yeah. scenes are going to be electric seeing him and mm-hmm. Tom Hiddleston go back and forth. And then to have the physical confrontation with Thor. And, and Chris Hemsworth is going to be cool. And you're casting somebody that can play both sides of that, especially knowing how they were going to use Loki and Thor kind of working together, you know, to combat this threat from the Dark Elves. And I thought, this is genius. I mean, I love the casting. And then I went into it, and, I mean, they could have cast anybody in that part because he just American. kind of got lost underneath the makeup and, yeah. and the effects and everything. And I, I'm not meaning to belittle his acting ability, but I just think it could have been anybody. Yeah, it, it could have been a mannequin. It could have been a, a, a animatronic robot. It was. I was just shocked. I mean, everything else about the movie I liked so much that I kind of overlooked it, but gritting my teeth, you know, I'm like, this could have been so much better. Yeah. You know, just, just go watch any episode of Doctor Who that Eccleston played Doctor Who, the Doctor, right? Yeah. And he's he's so animated. He's so clever. His timing, he's a, he's a great comedic actor. He's a great dramatic actor. One of his strengths is he can turn on a dime and go from, from comedy to, to drama, you know, in the same sentence. And it's totally believable. And you, you have him standing there going, or whatever he was doing. And it's just, oh, I was so disappointed. Yeah. Now, the dark world is also, I think, the first time that we're truly introduced to the setup of the Infinity Stones. Because even though we had had the Tesseract, in Captain yeah. America, and they used it again in the Avengers. This was the first time that, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they kind of opened the door to these other power stones being out there. And that's kind of the first time that I realized what the actual road to Thanos being in the Avengers was going to be. You know, because then that was really the confirmation for me that, oh, oh, they're going to do Infinity Gauntlet. Like, that's what it's coming to. Well, I just love that the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe over overarching blueprint is based on season two of Superhero Squad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you got something that works, you might as well use it. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's Thanos running around chasing those those different shards or gems or whatever and, and bringing in different characters to try to keep them away from him and everything. I mean, I, I, I wish that we could, and this may touch on something you want to get into later, but... 
I, I wish it could all end up with a sort of an epilogue where we have the Infinity Watch, you know, Adam Warlock and the Infinity yeah. Watch, but I, I seriously doubt that we'll get that. We'll have more with Van next week in our second part of the conversation as we take a look at Captain America the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Each week here on the show, we'd like to close it with a little bit of whimsy. Actor and friend of the show, Jason Wayne Christian, has a rather unique gift, a a mutant ability, if you will, which allows him to be quick with a rhyming phrase to comment on current events in geek culture. It's a segment we like to call Nerd Poetry. This week, Jason pays homage to Peter Capaldi's debut as the newest regeneration of the Doctor on the new season of Doctor Who. Normally, Jason would be contributing his limericks using his own vocal stylings. However, life in Hollywood has kept him busy this week, and he was unable to provide the voiceover in time for the premiere. Luckily, I happen to have an actor within arm's reach, someone who's actually shared the stage with Jason and is also a huge fan of Doctor Who. And so, without further ado, here is my daughter, Andrea Young, with this week's Nerd Poetry. Daleks yell exterminate, and the Cybermen challenge your fate. But Angel, don't weep or lose any sleep. The Doctor is coming. Just wait. The Poet Laureate of Geekdom, Jason Wayne Christian, can be seen getting rave reviews in the Upright Citizens Brigade production of Seinfeld The Purge, playing the role of Jerry's nemesis, Newman. Someone who is unencumbered by any emotional attachment. Someone whose heart is so dark it cannot be swayed by pity, emotion, or human compassion of any kind. Hello, Newman. The next performance is September 23rd at the UCB Theater in Los Angeles. Andrea Yelton can be found watching YouTube videos on my couch or binge-watching whole seasons of Doctor Who while cocooned in her bed. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks so much to Jason Christian, Andrea Yelton, Yoda, and my father, the other Jim Yelton, for their contributions to the worldwide broadcast. And special thanks to this week's guest, Van Allen Plexico, for joining the premiere. You can find out more about all of Van's books and his own podcast at whiterocketbooks.com. Make sure to tune in next week for part two of our discussion with Van as we talk about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm Jim Yelton, and remember, no matter where you go, there you are. 30 Minutes of Big is a production of Midnight Entertainment, LLC. Copyright all rights reserved. Find out more about Midnight's exciting offerings, including a full library of 30 minutes of geek episodes, bonus content, blogs, and much, much more at midnight-entertainment.com. Well, kids, that's all you get! That's it! Read a book!